I don't know how you feel about it, but that was some good singing. I enjoyed that. Amen. Oh, are you guys waiting on me or what? Okay. I didn't know if maybe Grant was going to sing a little more. Or I bet he could. Hey, aren't you amazed at how God has raised him up in this church and, and given him the talent that he has? Amen. Amen. Well, this is one of my favorite weeks of the year. I love Thanksgiving, don't you? I'm glad that we have a week that we can just concentrate and, and just remember all the good things that God has done for us. But the truth of the matter is, that should be the case every day of our lives, right? Scripture says, this is the day the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. You can't rejoice without being full of thanksgiving. Isn't that true? And so I'm thankful for this time of the year. If you have your Bibles, I want you to take them and turn, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 1. We're starting a a new sermon series this week that will last for the next four weeks, kind of taking us in past Thanksgiving and into the Christmas holidays. And uh, we just want to talk about some things that I think are very pertinent for this time of the year. And while you're turning there, let me just remind you very quickly, we will not have a midweek service this week or any for the remainder of the year after Thanksgiving the following week, we're going to have various small groups that will be meeting. Uh, the pastors, the elders council will be meeting for at least three weeks, Wednesday nights in my office, as we have some things that we need to discuss going into the new year. Uh, the, the music team will meet in the sanctuary each Wednesday from 7 o'clock till 8. The youth group will still be meeting. The children's group will be meeting. And let me just throw this little plug out there. If you're planning on your child being a part of the Christmas presentation this year, please do everything you can to get them here on Wednesdays. <clears throat> I know that we spend a little bit of time on Sunday mornings trying to teach the, uh, the program to them, but it's just so much easier when they're here on Wednesday nights and we have an extended period of time. So if you can come and be here from 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock, then our, your, your kid uh, just will do a great job, and we would appreciate so much your help. So we're trying something a little different this year, <clears throat> but something we feel like will be very productive. So, But for this Wednesday night, there will be no meeting, in no small groups of any kind. We want you to be able to stay home, spend time with your family, and enjoy that time with them. Don't you love your family? Amen. I'm looking forward to getting with mine for sure. <clears throat> so this, this year, I, I kind of wanted to change the direction of what I talk to you about as we lead into the Christmas season. You know, throughout the next few weeks, I know that we'll talk about the Christmas story and Mary and Joseph and, and how Jesus came and the stable and the wise men and all that. We'll hear about that. But I was just, in my mind, thinking about, you know, why did Jesus really come? Why, uh, why did the Father feel it was necessary for us to have the Savior, Jesus? 
<clears throat> and what was his role and what is his ongoing influence in our life. And the fact of the matter is, is that this world is filled with rebellion. Is that not true? And rebellion is, in fact, described in Scripture as sin. And it is a reality for all of humankind. And no one is exempt from its devastating power. We are all subject to sin. And so that's why we needed Jesus. We needed a Savior to come into this world so that we could be free from our sins. Aren't you thankful that Jesus cleanses us all of our sin and that today we are free in Christ because of what he has done. So let's pray together and then after that we're going to allow the word of God to speak to us and change our lives because it has that power. Father, thank you for the privilege of being here today. <clears throat> thank you for every individual that's here, all of the small groups that are meeting, the teenagers in the back, Lord, the children in our our, our wing, our children's wing, I pray that you would speak to them and touch them and encourage them all today and us as we listen to your word and as we receive it, that it would be an encouragement to us and help us to be able to receive all of the understanding and wisdom and knowledge that we need to apply it to our lives. Help me to preach effectively today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I trust that each of us, you wouldn't probably be here today if this weren't the case, have all considered what eternity is going to be like for all of us. You know, I'm pretty well convinced that my eternity is going to be spent with Jesus Christ. And I'm sure that you feel the same way. I love hearing guys like Jack Dambrose talk about there's no fear for him in dying. He, he's looking forward <clears throat> to being with his Savior. I've spent a lot of time with Jack over the last several years, and he's always filled with questions. You know, what do I think that heaven will look like? What do I think that Jesus will look like? What do I think that Jesus might say to him the first time that he sees him? What And questions, questions, questions. And he is so anticipating that time that he will be with Jesus. And I've noticed in my life that my focus is turning less and less to the things of this world and more and more to my time in eternity with my Savior, Jesus Christ. And I don't want to go prematurely because God has given me a wonderful life, a wife, Children, grandchildren, beautiful church, lovely people. My life, I think, is as good as it could possibly get right now. And I'm thankful to him for that. But I also have to tell you that I'm not at all ashamed to admit that when it's my time, I want to be with Jesus. I want to spend eternity with him. And so it's important that we consider the, the eternal significance of the birth of Jesus Christ. And we ask questions like, why did God send his son into the world? And what did Jesus' life, death, and resurrection really accomplish for all of us? What is the lasting impact and why did God use people like us 
to be part of his church and to build the kingdom of God. There are questions upon questions that we might ask ourselves. In fact, when we think just purely on the fleshly realm and level, there are questions that come to us all the time. I know around our house, we've got questions going on like, you know, Rob, what day this week can you help me get the house ready for when the kids come over for Thanksgiving dinner? Can you go out to the shed and bring in my decorations so I can start putting that all together? I did that yesterday. Can you help me mop the floor? I'm going to do that this week. What time are they coming over? What day will it be? Well, they're coming over Thursday. I don't know what time, but they'll be at my house. The kids are coming if we can get rid of all the flu A that's going around in the Franklin household. But all of these questions, you know, will I be, I wanted to get Henry, he's not here today, and I'm pretty sure he's not watching the live stream, I wanted to get him one of those Hot Wheels tracks. I don't know if you guys ever had one of those, but I had a couple of them when I was kids, and and I just wanted to get him one. So it's like the question is, where do you get it? What's the the right price? You know how do you, you know how's it going to work? And, I, and we and we think about all these questions about Christmas and are, are we going to have snickerdoodles? Are are we? Because if we are, I'm in, all in on the snickerdoodles. We think about all these questions that come to our mind during the holidays. But really, when you stop and think about these fleshly questions, they pale in comparison to the eternal questions that we all should be asking ourselves. And they're really very trivial when we stop and think about, you know, what are the eternal uh, ramifications of my accepting Jesus Christ as my Savior? So today, we're going to begin this journey talking about this, and I want you to look at verse 4 in Isaiah chapter 1. Now, the prophet Isaiah is speaking here as he is moved upon by the Spirit of God. Yes, these are the words recorded that came through Isaiah, but God was speaking to Isaiah and telling Isaiah what to say. And in verse 4, this is what Isaiah said. He said, O sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity, brood of evildoers, depraved children. Now, who's he talking to? He's talking to the people of God. That's who he's talking to. He goes on and he says they have abandoned the Lord And they have despised the Holy One of Israel, and they have turned their backs on Him. So Isaiah begins by giving the reason why he is prophesying the words that have come to him by God. It's because God's own people had rebelled against their God and had turned their backs and had accepted a sinful lifestyle that they were accustomed to living. And Isaiah wanted them to know that God was fully aware of the life that they were living. And he had some things that he was going to be saying to him through this prophetic book. 
And so he wanted to catch their attention by literally calling them a brood of evildoers and sinners who had abandoned their God and literally turned their backs on him. Now, I've often wondered how the congregation that I pastor would feel if I got up on a Sunday morning and said, I want you to know that the Lord has told me today that you're all a bunch of evildoers. That you're just a brood of evildoers not worthy of the love of Jesus Christ. I dare say that many of you would take offense to that and you would feel like that your pastor was not being very uh, nice to you. But the reality is that we all, before Christ, were part of a group of people who had turned their backs upon the Lord. And it's even possible for us as his children to spend days and weeks and months without ever interacting with God at all other than to occasionally come to the house of God. So in one verse, one, God is speaking through the mouth of Isaiah to pronounce judgment and condemnation upon the people of Israel. He calls them sinful people, and he says, he describes them as people who are built or that, that are bent over with the guilt of their shame. I don't know if you've ever felt that way or not, but as my life and Christian experience through the years has been developing, and as God has been sanctifying me daily by his presence and his spirit. There have been days in my life when I recognized how short I had fallen of the glory of God. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all, say all, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm often reminded of the Apostle Paul when he said, The things that I would do, I don't do, and the things that I would not do are the things that I find myself doing. And then he just, it's almost like he just throws his arms up in frustration and says, Oh, wicked man that I am. Now, if we're not careful, we can stay in that fleshly mindset and forget that the reality is that by Jesus Christ, our sins have not only been forgiven, but they've been washed away by the blood of the Lamb. And today we are free because of Jesus Christ. So he's talking about the sin and the rebellion of the people of God. And we live in a world that is full of sin and rebellion. It doesn't take long at all just to look at what's on the television and listen to some of the music and hear some of the politicians and the news media and other things to realize that we live in a dark and sinful world. I am so thankful that when Jesus was interjected into this earth, 
that the light of the world came into the midst of the darkness and he lit up every corner of this world by his presence. Listen, wherever Jesus is, it cannot be dark because he is the light of the world. And wherever Jesus is, the darkness has to go. I was reading just this week about how that in heaven there will be no need for electricity. There will be no need for light bulbs. There will be no need for any kind of lighting of any sort because the scripture says Jesus will be there and he will light up everything forever. Jesus has the ability to do that even in the midst of darkness. But now I want you to look at verse 18 in chapter 1. The book of Isaiah, he says, come and let's settle this. Now, I think in the New King, or excuse me, in the King James Version, it probably says, come and let us reason together. I don't know if I'd ever want to sit down with God and reason with him. Because I'm not nearly as wise or as smart as he is, and yet... He says to Isaiah, tell my people that when it comes to this matter of sin and rebellion, I'd like for them to come to me and sit down with me so that we can reason this out. What an invitation that God has given us. He has given us the opportunity to settle this matter of sin. He says, come and let us settle this, says the Lord, says the Lord. And though your sins are scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are crimson red, they will be like wool. How many of you have read that passage of Scripture scripture through the years? Do you ever kind of understand or feel like, you know, what in the world does that mean? Well, I want to talk to you about that for a little bit this morning. And the first thing that I want us to talk about is this idea that our sins are like scarlet. Now, there was a movie and a book written many, many years ago about the scarlet letter. How many of you remember that? Where this woman was marked with this scarlet letter because of her unfaithfulness and because of her sinfulness and her mistakes. And they wanted to mark her with this scarlet letter. Well, this reference that Isaiah gives is a reference to the ancient world and their clothing. In the ancient world, the color scarlet or bright red was achieved through a dye. And dyed material in the ancient world could never be changed. The color literally was embedded in the fabric. So once it got in the fabric, it could not be taken out. It could not be removed. And so the picture is not only of a bright stain, but an unremovable stain that existed in their garment. Now, I don't know, I have this uh, t-shirt or sweatshirt that says Spirit Life Christian Academy on it. And I love to wear that sweatshirt. I wear it around town uh, because I want people to ask me about Spirit Life Christian Academy. And so I, I use it and I, I go around. I'm a, I'm a walking billboard for the church at 6901 Outer Loop. And so one day I was uh, eating something 
and I dropped it right here on my, my sweatshirt. And I don't remember what it was, but I did not, I failed to do what my wife always tells me to do. She always says, if you ever get a stain on your clothes, make sure that you spot the, the, the spot, that you spot the stain, otherwise it can get permanent and never come out. So now... I have a favorite sleep shirt that I have that says Spirit Life Christian Academy on it because I can't wear it out in public because I have an an unmovable stain right here. I don't know what it is, but I know that it won't go away. And so what I'm saying to you is that Isaiah was trying to point out to the people of God here that once they get stained with scarlet in the world, in in the ways of the world, it could never be removed. There was nothing they could do to remove it from that garment. Once it was embedded in the fabric, it was there for eternity. And so what he is saying here is, is that God is able to take that stain away. And what the world says is permanent, God says uh, is transitional. God is able to do in the spirit what we cannot do in the flesh. Amen. The other day, it snowed a little bit at my house. Not much. It didn't even cover the grass. But I've heard about people in the Louisville area that had about an inch to an inch and a half of snow. I've been raised in the Midwest. I've lived up north a lot of my life, and so I'm accustomed to snow. And every year, I like to have at least one or two good, significant snowfalls. Now, I know that that irritates some of you to hear me say that, but I don't think there's anything more beautiful than the freshly fallen snow as it lays peacefully on our grass and on our sidewalks and in our yard. I think it's absolutely gorgeous. But did you know that that beautiful snow can be infected, if you will, by this world because when people start driving through it, And when they start sloshing it around, it has a way of picking up the dirt from the road and all of the debris around it. And what was one time beautifully white is now ugly brown. And if you're like me, there comes a point when you decide, I've had enough of this. I don't even want to look at it anymore because this beautiful snow has been changed by the world that it is part of. Now, I know you're smart enough to realize where I'm going with this. Did you know that God created us white as snow? When we were conceived in our mother's womb, He had given us the ability. He has put in each and every one of us a measure of faith that will ultimately lead us to Him. But did you know that when you are brought into this world, that you begin 
picking up the debris of this world and the ugliness of the sin that is in this world attaches itself to us. And what was beautifully white is dyed by the ugliness of sin and we start carrying the ugliness of this world in our vessel, in our body, in our soul and it cannot be removed by any effort on our part. You cannot save yourself. You cannot buy your salvation. You cannot do anything. You cannot bargain with God. You cannot tell Him that if you'll do this, I'll do that. No, salvation is a free gift that comes from God Almighty. And the only way that your scarlet can be turned white is through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's amazing to me how Jesus can take red blood and and wipe it on our heart and soul and spirit and turn it as white as snow. But that's exactly what happens when Jesus comes into our life as white as snow. Now, see, we serve the God of the impossible. How many of you remember what your life was like before you came to Christ? Anyone? You weren't in a great place, I'm sure. But because of Jesus, what was impossible to these people that Isaiah was talking about, once their clothing was dyed scarlet, there was no human way to take that dye that had been embedded in that garment. It could not come out. It was impossible. But we serve a God of the possible. Aren't you glad for that? So in Luke chapter 1, verse 37 this is where the angel of God comes to Mary and he says something to Mary that absolutely blows her mind. He says that the Holy Spirit of God is going to come upon you and you're going to become pregnant and you're going to give birth to the very Son of God. And you know what Mary's response to that was? She said... How can this be? In other words, she was saying, that's too good to be true. That's absolutely impossible. There's no way that I can get pregnant without being with a man. And I have never been with a man. And so it is impossible for this to happen. And the angel says, for nothing shall be impossible for God. It's almost like he just nonchalantly throws it out there and says, I know that you think this can't happen. I know that you think it's impossible. I know that you think that there's no way. But what I'm telling you is absolutely true because nothing shall be impossible with God. Amen? Nothing. So nothing is impossible. It's almost as though Gabriel is saying, look, I don't live in this world. And so my expectations are not earthly. My faith is not grounded upon what I can reason in my mind. I come from the heavenly realm. And where I come from, the miraculous is commonplace in the realm of heaven. 
So what he is saying to her is, is this promise from God is not earthly. It's heavenly. Can I tell you today that you and I, we may be in this world, but child of God, we're not from this world. We have blessings from the heavenly that are being poured down upon us on a regular basis. And our expectation cannot be based upon what the earth says is possible, what the world says is possible. But what our expectation needs to be connected to is what God says he will do. And what God says is possible because we serve a God of the impossible. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, tells us how to pray when we're in an impossible situation. When we're, our garments are stained with sin and stained like scarlet. When our world is falling apart and it seems impossible, Matthew 6 and 10 says this, pray this way, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. Hey, listen, there aren't any sick people in heaven. There aren't, there's no sin in heaven. There's no lack in heaven. There's no doubt in heaven. There, there's none of that. that. That is all gone. It has been erased from the realm of possibility in the heavenlies. And then God says to us, He said, if you're going to pray, you need to pray for the possible. You need to pray that the kingdom of heaven will be realized in your life. And so are we praying that way? Are we asking God to bring the heavenly into our earthly existence? I am. Because listen, there are things in my life that I want to see done and I want to see accomplished that can only be done in the realm of the heavenly. Donna Gillenwater shared with me today that her daughter that lives in South Carolina, one of the prodigals that we've been talking about, called her this week and said, Mom, I gave my life to Jesus. I asked the Lord into my heart. I've been radically changed. And she said, you know what I, I need and want more than that? She said, I need a Bible. She said, I want a Bible. I need to get a Bible. And Donna, she said, will you get me a Bible for Christmas? And Donna said, shoot, I ain't waiting till Christmas. I've been waiting for this to happen a long time. I'm getting her a Bible just as quick as I can get there. She called one of the ministries and said, hey, my daughter just got saved and she's asking for a Bible. I'd like to get her a Bible. Could you send it to her? And they said, yeah, we can do that. But it'll probably at this time of the year, it may take five or six weeks for it to get there. And Donna said, oh, no, that'll never do. She said, I need for her to get a Bible like right now. And she said, well, she said, if we put a rush on the order, it may be possible that we can get a Bible to her in a week, I think she said. And she said, well, that's better. She said, let's go ahead and do that. So she ordered the Bible, and what, three days later, 72 hours later, she said. She said, her daughter called and said, I got my Bible. So what was going to be six weeks was then a week, and then it became 72 hours. How do things like that happen? 
I'll tell you how it happens. We have blessings in the heavenly waiting to be poured out upon us. And if we can call upon the name of the Lord, then he will respond positively for those who will call out to him. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So now back to Isaiah. He said, your sins are like scarlet. He said, they are like scarlet, but they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red right now as crimson, they shall be like the pure wool. He said, I don't know. That seems impossible to me. That's what they thought. They said, my red cloak, my red fabric that I'm wearing cannot have the dye removed because it's embedded in me. But God said through Isaiah, he said, it's not what is that matters. It's what shall be that matters. And what is was produced by the flesh and the sin of this world. But what shall be will be, re, will, will be provided by what the heavenlies can produce. So we got to get we got to get unstuck from what the world says that we can and can't have. And we've got to get embedded in the flow of Jesus Christ and the heavenlies so that he can do in us what needs to be done. So let me ask you this question. If Jesus says, if God says that he can turn scarlet into snow, who are you to doubt him? If God says he can heal your body, who are you to doubt him? If God says that he can bring your prodigal home, who are you to doubt him? Listen, the Bible tells us we can ask anything in his name, and it shall be done for those who will ask. The Bible says that when we ask, we should ask in faith. No doubting. Because those who doubt cannot believe that they'll receive anything from the Lord. I'm telling you, we can ask in faith believing. And when we ask in faith believing, God is able to do whatever needs to be done in our lives. It is possible through Jesus Christ. Look at your neighbor and say, it's possible. It's possible. And then finally this morning... I want you to look at verse 18 again, and I want us to look at this verse that says, Come, let us settle this. And the King James, Come, let us reason together. Settle the matter. The unfortunate reality of many of us here today is that we are full of doubt. We're just full of it. And the doubt is what is preventing us from living this wonderful Christian life that God has provided for us. We doubt. Now, if you're a doubter today, let me just remind you that you're in good company. I've already mentioned about Mary. When she was told the promise of God, she said, how can this be? When the promise of God came to Moses... He responded by saying, who am I? This last Wednesday night, we talked a little bit about a man named Mephibosheth. 
And his response was, he said, what is your servant? He's talking about himself. That you should even notice a dead dog like me. Doubt. This world tends to promote doubt in us. And that's the reason that we have to put the world aside so that we can live in the kingdom of God. So that we can be representatives of the kingdom of God. We doubt that God really loves us. Or maybe God loves somebody else more than he loves me. We doubt that we'll ever be good enough for him. We doubt that his grace is sufficient for us. I'm so thankful that God's grace is more than enough for each and every one of us. It just seems that his unfailing love and miraculous grace are too good to be true. Did you ever get a gift from someone and you thought, this must be for someone else. This is too good for me. I remember years ago, we were in need of a car. We couldn't afford to buy a new one, so we were looking at used vehicles and whatever we could find. And so we're out looking, and, and Donna sees this Lincoln Continental on the lot. And it was beautiful. I mean, it was nice. And she just kind of stopped right there. She's looking at it. She's giving it the once over. And I'm trying to move her on down to the Ford Pintos, down, down the road a little bit. We looked at some other that I thought we could afford, and she kept saying, what about that Lincoln? And finally, I just told her, I said, babe, that's out of our price range. I said, we, we can't afford a Lincoln. It's just not possible. She said, you haven't even asked. And I thought, well, that's a true statement. I haven't. Because in my mind, there's no way that this poor boy can afford a Lincoln. And so finally, just really, just to get her to leave me alone, I asked the guy, I said, what about that Lincoln? Tell me about that. And they told me about it, told me about it, told me about it. And then it's like, okay, here comes the big one. How much you going to need for that? And I'm preparing myself for this big letdown. I'm preparing myself that my wife is going to break down in tears right here on the parking lot. And when he told me how much it was, I thought, we can afford that. I mean, I don't know how that car is. I I wanted to see if it had an engine in it. What I didn't realize was is that those kind of cars depreciate so fast that they go down in value very quickly, but they remain good vehicles. So the bottom line is, is that we drove that Lincoln home that day, and we drove it for many years until really it, 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 you know, it, it was no good anymore. But I remember my wife saying, you don't even know if we can have that or not. You haven't even done any research on it. You haven't even asked any questions. You've just made up your mind that that is too good for us. 
Sometimes I think in our spiritual walk with the Lord, we think, well, I'm just okay to be saved. If I'm just saved, that's good enough. If I can get my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, then I don't have to worry about anything else. When my time comes, I'm going to go to heaven. But you have forgotten that God has so much more for you than just to have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. He has gifts and anointing that He wants to place upon you. And if you will just allow Him to pour it out upon you, your life can and will be radical changed by the power of God and his anointing if you'll just receive it I don't know if you're like me but sometimes I get tired of myself I, I don't know if you've ever had that happen but I get tired of my own doubt I get tired of hearing my own words. I get tired of being negative. I get tired of dreading every day that is about to come. I get tired of it. I get tired of all of the expressions of frustration and breathing hard that comes out of me in disgust and aggravation over what I've got to do. Now, I know you never get that way. You guys are all so happy and, you know, you're just so, you know, but I'm not that way. And I have to fight it. I mean, I have to come against it. I, I have to just make myself shut it off at times. There are times that I just have to speak to myself and say, will you just shut up? agreeing with the devil and start agreeing with the heavenly blessings that come that have your name written on it because if you agree with God your life can be radically different I want to encourage you to get sick of yourself this week I mean really I want you to start listening to what comes out of your mouth and looking in the mirror at yourself and, and saying, you know, it's been five days since I brushed my hair and my teeth. I ought to probably do something to prepare myself for good looks and, and for good blessings upon my life. Radically changed by the power of God. Come to the music if you will. Charles Spurgeon says this. He says, your sins are scarlet and crimson, and it seems as though you put on the imperial robe of sin and made yourself a monarch of the realm of evil. That is how a man's guilt appears before the searching eye of God. The Lord does not deny the truth of what the sinner has confessed, but he says to him, though your sins be scarlet, I meet you on that ground. I want you to notice those last words that Spurgeon speaks. He says that God meets you on that ground. He doesn't ask you to change your clothes and put something white on. He takes the clothes that you have on that are embedded by sin and embedded by scarlet and embedded by filth and embedded by dirt and he takes that cloak that is on you and he transforms it from scarlet to white. 
He meets you right there. Now here's the good news. While He will meet you there, when you come to Christ, He will not leave you there. He will change you. He will cause you to be white as snow. So today we celebrate that the love of Christ and the forgiveness of sin is even more powerful and more persistent than the effects of sin upon our life. Our sin is great, but our God is greater. I'm glad to know that today. You need to make yourself start realizing who you are. God has loved you eternally. The scripture describes an everlasting love that you have today because of Jesus Christ. You have new mercies flooded into your life every day. And so the guilt of your past should be gone. And if the guilt of your past is not gone, then you need to come back to Calvary and say, Lord, will you make me whiter than snow? Oh, I love it when God works in our lives that way. Will you stand with me this morning? Are you thankful that Jesus has saved you? If you're here this morning and you've never been saved, you've never come to Jesus, this would be a wonderful day for you to do that. You say, well, I don't really know how to do it. Why, it's just as simple as can be. Because first of all, you need to understand that the the Bible says that he He will in no way cast you out. He will not ignore you. He will not turn your his back on you. But if you will believe in your heart, the Bible says, and confess with your mouth, he will forgive you of your sins, and you will be a child of God. It's that simple. And have you not done that this morning? And I, as I look across the room today, it's my opinion that probably everyone in the house today have taken that step. You're saved. I know you. And I know how you've served the Lord all these years. But it may be that you have, like Miss Donna, that you have some prodigals in your household, in your family. And they need to come home. This holiday season would be a wonderful time for them to find their way back. For them to come back home to Christ. And to realize that the sinfulness of their garment can be removed and they too can be white as snow. I can't think of anything that I'd rather pray for for those in my family that need Jesus than for Him to remove the scarlet robe and to put a white robe upon them. And I believe He can do it, don't you? I want you to come down front with me if you will and we're going to close from here. And while we're coming, I want us to sing an old song that we used to sing years ago in the church. Four phrases in it. Donna said, they won't know it. I said, you never know. 
They might know it. If they don't, I think I can teach it to them. Because it simply says, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. See, you know it. I knew you would. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord. I love it. Thy great salvation so rich. I want us to do it again. I want you to just close your eyes and sing it to him. I know you're looking at me, and you, you typically do, and you're singing beautifully to me. I've enjoyed every minute of it. But I want you to just close your eyes and just sing it to him and let him know how grateful that you are to be his child this morning. Can you do that? Let's just take a moment and worship him as we sing it. time while your heads are still bowed and your eyes closed if there's anyone in the house today that you've not taken that step and come to Christ and you'd like to do that right now would you just lift your hand up and let me see so that I can pray for you and with you this morning I don't want to miss an opportunity if there's anyone here that you need to be saved Everybody look up here. How many of you would say, I have at least one, maybe multiples, in my family that need Jesus in their lives? Can I see your hand? Is that you? I want us to pray that the Lord in this season, Thanksgiving, Christmas, through the end of the year, that He will use you somehow to speak a word, a timely word, into their life that will position them in such a way that God can take their crimson spiritual garment and turn it white as snow. And He can use you to do exactly that. You know, we prayed over these boxes and I've thought about it so many times. I have no idea where this will go. I, in just a few weeks, I don't, I don't have a clue where this box will go. But I know some little child is going to open this up. And they're not only going to see the toys and smiles on their faces, but more importantly, they're going to be positioned to hear a gospel message about Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that there will be salvations that take place all around the world because of the love that has been given to them through the 
the church through the people of God. As happy I, as I am about this, and as happy as I am that we're able to support orphanages around the world, and, and one in Spain right now that we're supporting, as, as thrilled as I am about all of that, so many hands went up this morning saying, I've got people right in my household or right in my family that they need Jesus as much as those orphans in Spain and they need Jesus as much as these kids that are going to open these boxes. They need Jesus. And you do know that Jesus wants to save them as much as you want them to be saved. And so I want us to pray this morning and ask God to position them in a place where they can receive the gospel message and then I want you to ask God how you might be part of that process by using your words and your love and your compassion upon them during this season you never know your testimony in just a matter of a few days or a few weeks may be just like Thomas, pastor my son came back home my daughter came home my grandkids came home my friends came home what a wonderful wonderful testimony that will be when that begins to happen in our lives and in our church so let's pray together father thank you for this message today i'm so grateful that i'm one of those guys somehow got messed up I was raised in the church raised in a pastor's home but somehow just got messed up and my garment was as crimson and as red as it could be but somehow you were able to meet me in that moment of my life and turn my crimson and change it what was impossible from the worldly point of view became possible because of you and my garment is now white because of what you've done now Lord I pray for these individuals that stand before me today that you will use them during this holiday season as they come in contact with friends and family Lord may their testimony be one that will lead others into the kingdom of God and I pray for those prodigals I pray for those who have never known you Lord that something will change in their soul and in their spirit and that they will want and desire to have a relationship with you and we will be able to see in the spirit as their crimson becomes white as their dirt becomes as white as snow because of your hand upon their life. And I thank you, Lord, because I believe you're going to do it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now we're going to leave. We're going to dismiss. But before we do, if there's anybody in the house today that you need healing in your body, I know we've got flu, we've got RSV, we've still got COVID. We've got some that are dealing with other issues in their life. And before you leave, you'd just like to have the prayer team to pray for you. So prayer team, just come right up here in this area right here. 
And if you need prayer for healing in your body, I want you to come to them and let you pray for you. Let them pray for you that God will heal and touch your body. And as we sing this chorus a couple more times, just step on in and let them pray with you right now. Will you join me? Let's sing. Come on, take it again. 